In as so much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word having delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So Luke was a physician, he was a doctor, and he was also a travel companion of the Apostle Paul uh, in, in the second generation of the early church. And uh, why this four-verse introduction to this series is important to us is he wrote these words based on the eyewitness testimony of those who had been with Jesus during his life. And uh, you can imagine as the stories that maybe you've heard from your parents uh, passed down to you, that, that those that are firsthand, it was, it was so true. We all know it. We, saw, we all saw that it happened. And they wanted these stories to be preserved for all history. And so Luke, as a, as a physician, had followed these things closely, and he wanted to pass this on to the growing church so that they could be assured of the things they'd been taught about Jesus. And now this, this gospel, the gospel of Luke, has been used for the last 2,000 years to, to teach the church about the things that are true about Christ, the things that are true about his life and, and what he did when he was on earth and what happened to him and what's happened since. And it's also been used uh, to teach and reach those who are outside of the church, those that don't know the truths about God yet, and to tell them, well, this is what is true about God. And so, you know, Jesus' birth and, and John the Baptist's birth, they're not just fairy tales. They were actual recorded events in history that have numerous writings that back them up, and Luke's being one that's the inspired word of God. When Luke penned these words, he wrote the stories that, that were based on the accurate eyewitnesses that were actually there, but it was God himself who spoke into him and inspired him to write these words. And it's not just his words, but these are God's very words for us as a church. And it's not just history, it's also our story. Because sitting this morning in Advent, preparing ourselves to celebrate Christ's coming birth, this is a story of our brothers and sisters in Christ who went before us and their very lives. So, as we, as we get into this series, I want you to think for a moment back to uh, your Christmas experience as a kid. For some of us, it's not that, that far to, to reach back into. For others of us, it's a long way. But as you think back to your Christmas experience, probably if we shared our stories of Christmas as a kid, we would all have pretty similar stories. We'd all, 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 we were all eagerly awaiting for Christmas to get here and for Christmas to come. Now, maybe as parents, we're, we're a little scared that it's coming and we need a little more extra time to get ready. And uh, today's a cue that we need to start that shopping list and, and hit the store uh, or get that tree up that we still want to get up. Um, but as kids, it just couldn't get here soon enough. We all had expectation to see what gifts we were going to get. And we all had expectation what the day would bring. One of my favorite Christmas memories as a kid was uh, every year my dad would turn on Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas 
as loud as he possibly could and wake us all up. And if we wouldn't wake up, my sisters being the ones who really love to sleep in, uh, he would just play it over and over and over again. And uh, it started off as a really annoying thing. At first, we kind of hated him for it. Uh, and then as the years went on, it's like one time isn't enough. We've got to play this song at least five times, and we, we still do it, um, and we still play that song. But, you know, as Christians, when we think about Christmas Eve that's coming up and we think about Advent, sometimes it becomes just a season for us. And even when we think about opening up this book that records the actual history of John the Baptist and of Christ, it can become just dead words to us. These are just words written in a book on a page. But that was never God's intention. These aren't dead words, and it, it wasn't just some event that happened 2,000 years ago. It's actual history. And the words we're going to read throughout this series are actual living words to us meant to remind us of our forefathers in the faith that went before us. And just as our grandparents or our parents that went before us, they're our family. As God's children, our identity is rooted in theirs. They're our family that went before us and experienced the blessings and the provision of God the same way that God wants to provide for us this Advent season and every season of our lives. And so this story is so much greater than us, and we're going to see that Luke chapter 1 and 2, they're not just words on a page. If you've ever, if you've ever been to a game, I, I had an opportunity uh, a couple years ago to go to a, a big rivalry game between two high schools here in Laredo. And if you've ever been to a game that went to overtime, and there was some overtime or double overtime, and there was some spectacular play that ended it. You never forget it. I remember this particular game. Uh, at the end of regulation, uh, the kid that was dribbling the ball down this basketball game threw up with seconds left, a, a half-court shot, and they were down three, and the ball goes in. And it was a packed house, and sure enough, everybody just goes crazy. They couldn't believe this happened. And then we get to the end of the, the, the first overtime, and the exact same thing happens again for the other team, and they throw up a half-court shot, and it goes in again. And at this point, we're just going ballistic, can't believing that this is actually happening in front of us. And then finally, in the end of uh, the, the second overtime, the game came to an end. But, but I can tell that game to you as if it was yesterday because it was so exciting. There was an anticipation. There was something spectacular that happened there. And as we dive into this series and we look at the pronouncement of John the Baptist coming and Jesus coming and then their actual birth into this world, what we're going to see is going to go beyond just the spectacular, but it's going to turn to the miraculous. And our hope uh, as we dive into these passages together over the coming weeks is it will be something that would uh, help us be encouraged that God is with us during this Christmas season. God is with us every season of our lives, and he has something to say to encourage us that, that our trust in him isn't in vain. So we're gonna pick up uh, in verse five in Luke chapter one, so you can turn back there in your scriptures, and I wanna get us started uh, with today. And uh, we're gonna start with John the Baptist today. Today we're gonna focus on his birth being foretold. And 
this story is really relevant to us as Christians because as Christians, we all go through a time in our life, maybe several times, where God just seems silent. It doesn't seem like he's answering our prayers. It seems like we're serving and nothing's happening. It seems like we're giving and, and, and nothing's happening. It's, it's so hard to trust God. And we start wondering, why am I doing this? Why am I serving? Why am I giving? Why am I, why am I reading? Why am I coming on Sundays? God, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like you're there. It doesn't seem like, like you're answering my prayers. And we start to wonder, is our, is our faith really rooted in something bigger than, than what we see in this world? Do we really have a faith that goes beyond what we see in the day-to-day? -day? Is there really something that we're expecting God to show up? We start wondering, is, is our faith just really like some sort of superstition where we're, we're just coming to church because uh, maybe if we stop coming to church or we stop giving or we stop following, or we stop serving and praying, that maybe we're just superstitiously afraid that something bad's gonna happen? Or do we really have this deep-rooted belief in God that the way that we pray, the way that we live our lives, the, the trust that we put in God, giving him our hearts, it, it actually makes a difference in our life. And we all go through these seasons where it just seems like, where are you, God? And so we're gonna step into Zachariah's life and Elizabeth's life, and we're gonna see a situation as, as John the Baptist was coming about that we can all relate to where it was just quiet. So open to verse five. And uh, we begin. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So King Herod was a ruthless king, and later on we're going to see he would try to kill Jesus when Jesus was being born. And then you have our character's Elizabeth and Zechariah, and they both are priests or, or pastors. They've been serving God, and probably their families have been serving God for generation after generation uh, as the Levites, all the way back to the days of Moses. And in verse 6, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in the commandments and statutes of the Lord, and they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. So they'd been following God closely, they'd been obeying him, trusting him, following him with, with all their hearts and all their lives, uh, except they had no child. And in that day, that was an even bigger deal than today because in an agrarian culture, uh, where everything was based on agriculture and, and you needed uh, offspring for your, for your family to survive really, it seemed oftentimes like some sort of punishment from God. And so it was just this mystery, why God, if we serve you so faithfully, uh, have we not had a child? And it continues in verse 8. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and, he, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth 
will bear you a son, and you shall call him John. Now, we can relate to Zachariah and Elizabeth because it must have been hard for all those years for them to be faithful to God and obey him and do the right thing and trust him. And this prayer that they'd been praying probably since their 20s, and now they're old. We don't know how old, but they're old, 80, 90. It says they were very old. They were advanced in years. Their prayer had never been answered. Often we're following God and we're just wondering, where are you at, Lord? Why are you not answering our prayers? But despite it, we see there in verse 8 that Zechariah just keeps going on about his business. He keeps serving God in the temple day by day. And then he gets this special honor to go in and burn incense. Now, this would be probably the only time in his life that this would happen. Uh, he was part of many priests, and they would go, and this was something that was part of the tradition and their religious ceremonies to go uh, and to, to offer this incense. And it was really significant, and the reason why so many of his fellow uh, Israelites were outside praying was because the incense they were going to burn represented the prayers of the entire nation of Israel. And so you can see that it's a solemn scene. They're... they're, they're the people are devoted to Christ here, and they're praying uh, all the different prayers for their nation, for their families, and God chose him to go in and to offer this incense that, that symbolized the prayers for the nation, and so it was a significant thing. And then he runs into an angel while he's there, and many times as Christians, we think of angels as cute and cuddly and valentines and, uh, you know, Cupid and shooting a little arrow. But if you've noticed in the Bible, every single time an angel comes, people are always afraid. It's like, it's like they think that they're seeing God. Even if, even, if, even, if, even if it's dialed down to like a one, it's still a terrifying experience um, because of how awesome and mighty God's presence and power is in through them. And so he's afraid, but the angel says, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been answered. Now, one of the things that, that uh, we've been doing with students uh, for years uh, is going on summer mission trips. And uh, I can remember 10 years ago, uh, we were, we were going to go to New Orleans following uh, Hurricane Katrina and, uh, and go and serve there. And there's a group of 12 of us that had, that had come together to go on this trip. And uh, we, we needed uh, funds to be able to go. And it was seeming like we weren't going to be able to come up with enough funds to go on this trip. Now, I've seen, we're, we're going to probably send 100 students this summer to, to Kansas City, to New Orleans and to Houston to go and serve. And I've seen over the past 10 years that God has never not provided the money that either an adult or a student needed to go on the trip and to go and serve. And yet this was, for me, my first experience being part of one of these trips. And we still had a big bill due. And the date was getting closer and closer. And, uh, and you know, as the organizer of this trip, I was, I was feeling, I was beginning to get a little nervous. And uh, so we met as a team and uh, we decided, what's our strategy going to be? How, wh how are we going to go about this? And, and someone on the team said, hey, we should pray about this. And I thought, oh, we should do a little more than just pray. Uh, but, but okay. So our next meeting, our strategy was, there was no backup plan. There was no plan B. I just decided, okay, this is a great plan. And our next meeting, uh, we met and we decided to spend that meeting praying that God would just provide the funds that the 12 of us needed to go on this trip. And, um, and so we did. We prayed. 
And sure enough, later that week, somebody came up to one of the members of our team and they said, hey, I heard you're going to New Orleans uh, to serve uh, this summer. Uh, and, uh, you know, how much does it cost for you to go? I want to I support you in doing that. And so they told him and they took care of that. And that, that was, you know, about to be it. When then they said, you know, how many people are going and, and tell me more about it. And they ended up saying, you know what, I, you know, I just, I want to cover the entire group to go. Now, to this day, I don't know who that person was. Um, all I know is that their gift uh, was an answer to prayer, and they encouraged the faith of 12 people for the rest of, of our lives. And for me, serving here as youth pastor since the rest of my time here uh, on these mission trips. And every summer, I head into it knowing and being able to tell students with confidence, uh, God's going to provide God will provide a way for us to go and to do this ministry. And he wants us to be a part of that. He doesn't want us to, do, to not have an active part in that. But God is going to provide for us to go and do this trip. So here, God doesn't answer Zachariah and Elizabeth's prayer right away. And he didn't have to even give them a child to still be faithful, to still be God. Because this side of heaven, we're not going to experience complete fulfillment. But God was not absent. He was waiting for his perfect timing. So our first point today, and you can follow along in your, in your worship guide and some notes. Our first point for today is that God answers prayer in his perfect timing. His plan has its own design and timing. What area of your life right now does it seem like God's silent in? What area does it seem like he's not there? We can remember and we can see in Zechariah and Elizabeth's story that God has a plan, and he has perfect timing, and he wants to show up in our life. Now let's continue along in verse 14. Gabriel continues his response uh, to, to them. He says in verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a, prepare, a people prepared. So our second point this morning is that God answers Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayer in a mighty way to bring about his plan and fulfill his goodwill. As I study this passage for this morning and getting ready to, to walk through Zechariah and Elizabeth's story, probably my favorite part was this list about who John the Baptist was going to be. And so if you guys can put that list up, 
there, there's a list of things that Gabriel says John the Baptist is going to be. He foretells his coming birth, and he already says what type of man he was going to be. And uh, he says he's going to be a joy and delight to his parents. So this, this answer to prayer for Zachariah and Elizabeth, it's, it's not just like, oh, you're going to have a child, some slight fulfillment to, to their desire for a child, but it exceeds their expectations. He's going to be this joy and delight. He probably didn't go through the terrible twos. Um, many are going to rejoice at his birth. You know, it was done the right way, and everybody's going to celebrate. And we're going to see that later on uh, when we get later into this message, and, and Eddie's going to cover that. We're going to see that people gather around Elizabeth, and they celebrate uh, his, his coming, his birth. It says he's going to be great in the sight of God. And then it says he's never to drink wine or other fermented drink. Um, probably, we don't know why it says that. Um, there is a tradition of the Nazarites in the scripture uh, that kept themselves uh, completely set apart uh, for God in many ways. But probably it has to do with the fact that he was going to come and he had a really urgent message. It wasn't one to sit back and, and to relax um, and to take it easy. But he had an urgent message that Jesus is coming. And it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit even before birth, even from birth. And then he continues, and uh, he says he's going to turn many Israelites back to God. He's going to go on before Jesus. He's going to turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and he's going to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. When I, when I read those two, my heart started being turned to, to seeing God's will and how good it is. Um, we see in the world around us that when our family falls apart, uh, it, it gives Satan an opportunity to step in and uh, to rob children of their future. And, and here it says here that he's going to change the hearts of dads to love their kids and to raise them and to teach them what it means uh, to be a woman, to be a man. And then he says here he's going to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. One of the things that discourages us so much in our faith as Christians is sometimes we look at the world around us and we, we look at all the actions that are happening and it just seems like people are being wicked and people are doing the things that are wrong and, and nothing changes. Nothing changes. And we relate to that so much here on the border. How, how can it be the way it is with some of the crimes that are happening across from us over and over and over, and where are you, Lord? Why don't you step in? And it says that, that John, when he came, he was going to turn the wicked. He was going to turn the disobedient to the ways of the just, to doing what was right. And then he says he's going to make ready a people prepared for Jesus. Just like God, through his word today, wants to prepare our hearts to be ready for Christ's second coming John was going to prepare the world for Christ's first advent, his first coming. So God answered their prayer with the greatest man that ever walked this earth apart from Jesus. The Bible says that, that John was of, the, of men born to women. He was the greatest one that ever lived apart from Jesus. So let's see how Zechariah responds to all this. Verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel... How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Now, guys, we can pause and uh, kind of get a chuckle here. 
Uh, it's almost as if Zachariah knew this was going to be recorded, and he gets very, he gets very diplomatic and political here. Uh, you notice he responds very quickly, you know, we all know I'm an old man, I need my cane here, and, and I'm advanced, and, and, but, but my wife, my wife, uh, she, she is just advanced in years. Um, young guys, take a note. Verse 19, and the ain't, do I, do I look good in both these outfits? Do I look fat? No, you look great in both of them. This one just makes you look extra, extra good, all right? You look great in, you look great in both. Verse 19, and the angel answered him, how can you know this? I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I love his response to him. How, how can you be sure of this? Because this giant angel's standing here telling you. I don't know about you, but I've never had an angel come and talk to me and say anything to my life, in my life. The, the closest I've come is playing basketball one time in high school when some thunder came down, and it was, it was a crazy experience, and I thought, wow, I just lived. But I have never had an angel appear to me uh, ever. And so Gabriel is almost chuckling at him, like, how can you be sure? Because Gabriel is telling you, I stand before God. Um, and I was sent to you to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you are going to be silent. He gets maybe a little bit of punishment for, for his doubt of what Gabriel's telling him. You're going to be silent, unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which are going to be fulfilled in their time. He has a little bit of a, this is probably too far back for many of you, but he has a little bit of a matrix moment uh, where his lips are sealed like Neo. And, and because he didn't believe Gabriel, uh, he's not going to be able to speak is what ends up happening to him. But not only was this possibly a little bit of a punishment, but it was also a sign. Oftentimes when miracles were going to take place in the Bible, we see that there was some miraculous sign that happened. And uh, this was also a sign to others we're going to see in a little bit that something special is about to happen. Now, Zechariah was a righteous man, but his response shows that even while he was doing what was right, it says that he was righteous, his expectation for what God could do was limited. See, there's nothing that's impossible for God. Ephesians 3.20 says that God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. So even in this huge experience he's having, he has this moment of doubt of saying, wait a second, I am way too old for this. How can this happen? Now, this week in Laredo, uh, a well-known uh, person in our community passed away, John McEwen. And uh, I never met him, uh, but he, he was a, a well-known businessman, and he was a Korean War veteran. And uh, when I was back, back to high school, when I was in high school, I was working one day, and uh, while I was at work, some, some, some women showed up from, from a, a, a club, an organization here in Laredo. And uh, they came and they, they gave me an award and they passed on some, some kind words to me. I, I share the same name uh, as John through my mother's side of the family. And they told me that that name goes back to, to the people that originally fought for America's independence. And... Uh, and, and because of that name that, that I shared with John, uh, they, they passed on these kind words to me and gave me this award. And at first, I was kind of taken aback by the whole experience. Uh, it was just a, a regular day for me. I wasn't expecting anybody to show up at work. Um, but as soon as it was kind of done, I, I felt touched and honored by it and, and encouraged. And you see, 
my name, my name, having this roots um, in our nation's history, it got me a blessing, you could say. But see, for us, as God's children, we bear the name of Jesus Christ. And when we baptize, when we're baptized, Matthew 28 says we're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so we're baptized in the name of Jesus. And so just like I was uh, blessed or uh, allowed to have this, this privilege because of my family's name, we have a much greater blessing and a much greater power living in us because of our belief in what Jesus Christ, uh, I look because the cross is normally there, but we have the star for Christmas, uh, because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And so when you say to Jesus, Jesus, I'm a sinner, I'm in need of your grace, I believe that you died for me, please forgive me of my sins. He comes into your life and he not only washes away the guilt and the stain of your sin, but he imparts to you the power to break it. You see, as Christians, we, we should not live the same way that we did before receiving Jesus Christ. Our life slowly becomes different. I was always envious of, of younger disciples. Uh, most, most of the people I've been working with closely the last many years here at Grace are youth, and so they're all younger than me. And, and I'm always kind of jealous of them when their faith just kind of takes off. Because for me, I feel like I have to learn the hard way. I don't know if you can relate to me at all or not, but I feel like if you, if you were to look at the trajectory of my spiritual path, Christ came into my life and, and, and I was changed and the Spirit clearly was telling me right from wrong and the, the way out and what to do and what it meant to follow Him. And, and it's like I take two steps forward and I take one step back. And, 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 I, and, and it was frustrating for me but when I can look back on this experience now and I can tell you with such joy and those that have, that have watched me since my youth, I'm not the same person that I used to be. And I have so much more peace and confidence in God and in myself because I understand who he is and who that makes me. And see, that's us as Christians. And just like Zachariah and just like Elizabeth, we can have absolute trust in Jesus Christ because of his name, that, he, that, that our prayers are not uh, in vain. I like this quote. I like this quote from Daryl Bach. He says, Sometimes underestimating God is as dangerous as rebelling against him. Our sin may not be a matter of doing overt wrong, but of being hesitant to pursue righteousness and to trust fully in the Lord. Once God speaks, we should respond. So church, I want to ask you this morning, where do you want God to act in your life right now? And if he were to act, are you presently really trusting in him and believing in his power and what it can do? Do you really believe that he makes a difference and you have new power and new hope through Jesus Christ? Or are you just going through the motions? Are you ready to trust God's response when he wows you? 
Not that our efforts are not supposed to be there, but is your hope and your prayer in God to do something beyond your own strength? And are you expecting it and waiting for it, holding on, clinging to what Jesus can do? Are you waiting to be blown away? Well, let's see how the people in Elizabeth respond. This is verse 21, our last couple of verses in this passage this morning. Verse 21, and the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. It's a whole matrix situation going on. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them, and, but he remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. And these days his wife Elizabeth conceived and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in these days when he looked on me and he took away my approach among the people. People were wondering what was going on. This was obviously something special that was happening inside. They can tell it was a vision that happened when he was unable to speak. And sure enough, he goes home. She bears him a child. And then it says she remained hidden. She probably remained hidden because people are wondering why a grandmother was pregnant. And uh, probably the shock factor that we're going to see later on in the stories it picks up in the coming weeks that, that, that many were around her celebrate his birth and coming into this world. But then she's overcome with awe at what God has done. And our last point is that trusting in God results in great joy. Trusting in God results in great joy. There's the temptation for all of us to trust or to not trust. And her trust was in God and it resulted in this great fulfillment for her, this great satisfaction when she kept putting her faith in him and God came through. Elizabeth recognized God's goodness, the same goodness that had been in her family for years. She actually quotes Rachel from Genesis 30, 23, who was wanting a son and who eventually bore Jacob, Joseph. And if you remember the story, Joseph is the one who went into Egypt and made a way to provide for all the Israelites and keep them safe during the years of famine. And, and just as Rachel had struggled and waited for a child and God uh, answered her prayer, Elizabeth was, is filled with joy. And the same story of God's perfect will in his perfect timing to be trusted continues, providing for his people at all times the things that we need. Proverbs 28, 26 says this well. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. But he who walks wisely will be delivered. And what it means to trust in our own heart is to never pick up this book or to stop picking up this book, to never give or to stop giving, to, to never to have a servant's mindset in our family, in our workplace, in our church, or to just to stop doing it. But to trust in God is to continue to pray, to continue to trust, to continue to actively put our faith in God saying, God, I serve you because I believe you're going to show up. God, I, I give to you the first of what I have because I acknowledge you're my provider and everything I have come for you. This continuation of putting our life in God's hands. And it says that Jesus is going to show up. That we're going to be delivered. 
Now, I often find myself like Zachariah when God speaks to me. Oftentimes I'm in a difficult situation and I wanna run my mouth. It's either a situation with myself and I'm just frustrated and I just, I just wanna run my mouth to somebody or, or another circumstance happening on, I just wanna run my mouth about it and God's whispering to me to be still, to be quiet. I have this. Maybe, maybe students, uh, it, it's a situation you find yourselves in where you see that everybody else is cheating and you're not cheating and you start wondering, does it make any difference? Or you're dating someone and the Bible says to save sex for the wedding day and you're saving it, but, but nobody else is and you're wondering, God, does it even make a difference? Or you're, you're doing the right things at work and you're not gossiping, you're not, you're not speaking bad about others and, and you're working hard and others aren't and you're saying, God, does it even make a difference? Does, does it even make a difference the things that I'm doing? But God recognizes what we're doing. And I'd love to tell you that I'm like Zachariah and I'm like Elizabeth. And, and, if, and if you read the story of my life, it would say that he walked blamelessly and he was righteous. But I'm not even like them. And those that know me well know that I'm not. Like I said, it's been two steps forward and one step back. And there's been so many times that I've blown it. And I think, God, how how can I follow you? Look, look, at, look at what I've done. Why was I such a fool? What, what led me to this point? Why did I make this bad choice? I obviously didn't do the right thing. I obviously didn't not cheat. I obviously didn't, didn't not gossip. I, I, I took the wrong path. And maybe you can relate to me in that too. Maybe this morning there's things in your life that, that you're not sure if they're the right path or, or, or you know I'm not, I'm not in that right path and I'm not even sure how to get there. And I just want to share from the story of those that went before us and from my own story that I've gotten down on my knees. I've gotten down on my knees so many times. And I've wanted to give up because the things that I was hoping for, the things that I wanted, I, I just couldn't do them on my own strength. The, the will that I saw of God was impossible for me, my own strength. God has shown me so much grace to see that he's real and he listens to our prayers and he sees our actions. So church, I want to assure you this Advent that every, everything that we do together, it's not in vain. And it's not by our own power that we're going to save our families or, or change our lives or make a difference in our community or end what's happening in Nuevo Laredo. Our hope is rested in all of us, in the person of Jesus Christ living in us. And so if you're, if you're doing the right things and you're waiting for God to show up, this, this story, Christmas, is a timely reminder that God's coming into the world. He's coming into the world to change it forever. And he's come into our lives to change us forever. You see, the way that we live, our prayers and our expectation of God, they matter. And if they didn't, God wouldn't tell it to us so clearly in this living book. God hears our prayers 
And he answers them in his time, not ours, for his glory and for our goodness. And when we trust in him, he brings us fulfillment. Fulfillment that we can never even imagine, he says. He changes our lives and he changes our families in a way that we can never even imagine. And he gives us a satisfaction that goes way beyond the temporary. And as Christians, we're not working for that temporary. But we're working for God's long-term plan that's going to bring about great joy in his perfect timing. You see, in Zechariah and Elizabeth's day, God had been silent for 400 years. And there was many followers of Christ that had been waiting eagerly. Where is this promised Messiah? When is Jesus ever going to be born? Where is he? And nation after nation would come and invade them and pick on them. And they were getting pushed around. But there was a remnant, a remnant of people that said, I'm going to wait for God to show up. And they kept praying and they kept serving and they kept giving and they kept anticipating God to show up. And that's Zachariah and Elizabeth's message to us today, church that we can wait upon God because he's gonna show up and he's faithful. Jesus has come, he's been born, and we know that he is coming again. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that you would give us the courage to be like Zachariah and Elizabeth. Remind us that you keep your promises Remind us that you're here with us every single day. Father, we thank you for this season. We thank you for this reminder. We thank you that you're a God that can be trusted. Father, we pray that you would help us to follow you closely and wait upon you with eager anticipation. 